one of the things we have learned as we look into the scriptures is they, there are people here in this book that are just like us. And those people who encounter Jesus, they have stories to tell. We're, we're looking at them. They, and the stories of these people end up as faith messages, which are important for us today. I love to study the Word. I love to look into it and open the Bible and follow it along with you. As we look at these people, these persons of interest, we can see ourselves, our own struggles, our own journey of faith. We, we learn lessons from them. We learn how to find the way to Jesus and what true faith really means. Luke 18 is filled with such stories. Stories about faith and the lack of it. Now in this chapter we see the self-righteous Pharisee and the humble sinner. In this chapter we see the little children who are brought to Jesus and the adults who try to send them away. We see a poor widow who's been treated unfairly and an annoyed judge who avenges her because of her persistence. And then finally we see the two men I want to study today, a rich young ruler or a rich ruler and a poor old blind man. Both came to Jesus for the same thing, but after that encounter they traveled two different paths. One returned to a path of self and sorrow and the other came with nothing but left full. Last Thursday, we celebrated Thanksgiving as generations of Americans have done for more than 400 years. Many people gave thanks to God for what they have in this life, but most importantly, folks, we need to thank God for the eternal life we have through Jesus Christ. Because you see, nothing else is going to last when we have Nothing else, when all the stuff we have disappears, we have eternal life in heaven. That is if we have the kind of faith that lasts. And that's what I want to look at in our study today of Luke 18. And the next person, or in this case, persons of interest. Luke chapter 18, as we continue our study in God's Word and those people in Jesus and the people Jesus encountered. Let's learn something and hear from God today. Would you bow with me as we seek the face of the Lord? Father, we pray once again. We have filled this, we have filled this service with prayer and praise. And that pleases you. And today, right at this moment, we're going to fill it with the Word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak something to each and every one of us. If we've come hungry, we'll be fed. So I pray, Father, that our, you'll remove the distractions from our mind and help us not miss what you want to say to each and every person. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 18. Now I'm going to use most of this chapter, and I'm going to skip around a little bit in it. So I'll have it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles there, you might want to take some notes and see what God says, because I believe in this passage we can see ourselves. Now, as this passage unfolds, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to complete the work he had come to do. Look with me first at verses 31 
through 34. This is the work Jesus did. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to... Where are they going? You with me? We're going where? Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus, right. Who is the Son of David? Jesus. The Son of Man is Jesus' title as the, as the mediator between God and man. As the bridge between human be- sinful human beings and a holy God. He came, born, man and God. He was the God-man. He uses his title, Son of Man. And the Son of Man, you have to be a man to be able to be tortured and killed. You understand? He had to have a physical body. And that's why he came to the world. And he told his disciples, so the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem. And they are going to scourge him and mock him and spit upon him and persecute him and torture him and kill him. But that, but death could not hold him. And I believe, like the song said, that on the third day he rose again. He said he would, and he did. But they didn't understand this. When Jesus told them what was going to happen to him, they did not understand yet the things that were spoken. When would they understand it? After he had already performed all that he needed to do. Jesus came into this world with a kingdom mission. He had a mission. The redemption of a fallen human race. Man could not save himself. Man had proved that. It was going to take a powerful act of God. A a sacrificial act. Jesus suffered like no man has ever suffered. Bleeding and dying in agony for our sins. On the cross, Jesus endured shame and pain for hours. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. As he became sin for us. The Holy God became sin for us. He he became you. He became you on the cross. Paying for your sins. And there he he hung and he suffered until he had paid for every sin that you and I and the world would ever commit. So that we could forever be forgiven And brought into a love relationship with him. And ultimately into his eternal kingdom. Now that's the goal folks. Not this temporary life on earth. But eternal life in the kingdom of God. Entrance into that kingdom comes through faith in Jesus. Persistent faith. And nothing else. And that is the meaning behind the first parable. Look with me at chapter 1, chapter 18 or verse 1 chapter 18 then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart pray men always ought to pray and not lose heart no matter what's happening this so he said there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man now there was a widow 
in that city. And she came to him, the judge, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. Someone had done her wrong. I don't know. They took more than she, they were supposed to take. I don't know. But whatever it was, I want justice to be served here. And she asked the judge, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And then the Lord Jesus said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, yes, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In this entire chapter, Jesus is talking about kingdom truth here. He's teaching about a coming kingdom when he is going to return and of what we should do as we wait for his return. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what we must face as the days grow darker, what must we have? The same thing that widow had. Persistent faith. She kept coming. She kept coming. Folks, how often should you come to God and seek his face? How often? Every day, all the time, this woman kept this widow. She kept seeking the judge. He, Jesus said, he's an unjust judge. Just think about your good, good father. You just keep seeking him over and over again. Be persistent in your faith. We must have faith. A persistent faith. Now let me talk about a persistent faith. First of all, a persistent faith prays for the return of Christ. Did you see what the widow was praying for? That the judge would issue judgment. Now the first time Jesus came, it was to make the sacrifice necessary for our redemption. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The next time he comes, he will not come as a sacrifice. He will come as the King of Kings, a warrior. He will come as a judge. He is coming as the warrior, judge, the king. And that's what the persistent widow asked, that judgment will be served. Well, right now, folks, there's so much evil and so little regard for God. But all that is going to change. Today, the world is on like a, a downward spiral. I mean, it's just like spinning out of control. But there's coming a day... When all this is going to change, Jesus is going to set it right. He is going to issue a judgment that is going to be holy and good and right. Now, today, <clears throat> the world is persecuting Christians. Today, there are Christians in prison. They're being tortured. They're being murdered. They, uh, there's all kinds of things happening to Christians all around the world. Uh, there's some persecution in America, but nothing like what's going on in some other countries. Today, the world is persecuting Christians, despising people of faith. But when Jesus returns, his people are going to be vindicated. People of real faith in Christ. When he returns, people of real faith in Christ will rise to an eternal kingdom of reward, while those without true faith in Christ are going to be left behind for judgment. The key to God's kingdom is true faith.
The key to God's kingdom is true faith. And you and I need to have a faith checkup. We need to check ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, what's my faith look like? What does the world, when, when I go out in my world and I'm around all these people and all, ho, during holiday all families get, what does my faith look like to the people in my world? Does it look like real faith? Is my faith persistent? Verses 15 through 17. Jesus said, what kind of faith do we need? And and the Bible says that they brought infants to him, little babies. They brought infants to him that he might touch them. They wanted Jesus to touch their babies, you know. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked those parents. <laughs> but Jesus called them to him. And he said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Now I want you to listen. Pay attention for a moment, please. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a what? As a little what? Shall by no means enter into it. What kind of faith do we need? Like the faith of a child. We need like child-like faith. Now what are we talking about? What's Jesus talking about? A child does not have to see something to believe it. These little children in school is so funny because I, I, I see them, I'll sometimes walk in their classrooms, that kind of thing, but I'm talking about elementary children, especially on Mondays during chapel. They talk about all kinds of things. When I'm talking to them and about life and different things, they'll be shaking their head. They're, they pay attention. They'll raise their hand. They want to talk to me. And then, the, it, and invariably, it's almost every week, one of them runs up to me with a big old grin on her face and says, Pastor Diane, look, I lost a tooth. <laughs> and the tooth fairy is going to bring me a dollar or five. You know, even the tooth fairy has to adjust for inflation today. You know, it was, it was a dime when I was a little boy. You know what I'm saying? And they'll run to me and they'll see you know, that gap there. I look, Pastor Donnie, he was so, they're so happy that, you know, a tooth fairy is going to bring me a dollar. My point is, folks, that adults have a harder time than children believing in a Savior who died <laughs> over 2,000 years ago. It's not that they cannot believe, but they just don't want to believe. You see, most adults do not want to make the sacrifice that Jesus made, giving up his whole life. He gave up everything for us. The call to follow Christ is a call to give up self and selfish ambition. True faith requires us to humble ourselves before the Lamb of God and pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ as King of our hearts and lives. That's true faith. Little children, they want to believe. They do. They want to believe. They want to accept Jesus and have Him live in their hearts. Adults find it much harder because... Why? Because we have a whole lot more in our hands than children do. You see, the more we have, the more we want to hold on to it. The more we have, the harder it is to release it, even to Jesus. That's why Jesus was saying later on, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven because he doesn't want to let go 
of his riches. That's his kingdom. Having treasures on earth give, give us a confidence, a sense of power and control. And so Jesus gives us another story about some other people. Look at verse 9, verses 9 through 12 here. And also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Where did they go? To where? The temple. To pray. And what, what were they going to do? Pray. Right? Okay. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. You know, tax collectors were despised by the people because some of them really were, they really cheated people. Now, not all of them, but some. The Pharisee stood and he prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes, uh, tithes, 10%, of all that I possess. Well, the Pharisee, he went to pray, but it seems like he had an eye problem. Notice how many times he used the pronoun I to highlight, to highlight himself. I thank God, look, notice this, I thank God that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. Both men, both men were in the temple at the same time for prayer, but they were two different prayers. Look at verse 13, 13 and 14 for a minute. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice, the second man displayed a humble heart and faith in God. Where did the Pharisee put his trust? In himself, in his own good deeds. In fact, let me ask, listen, I'm not even sure what this man was asking God in this prayer. Can you figure it out? He, it's not like he's asking God for anything. It's like he's telling God how good he is. That's what it looks like to me. But look at the humble prayer of the tax collector for what he was praying. He's praying for mercy. Mercy, I want you to think about that. Mercy. This is our faith principle today. Let's read it together. Ready? True faith does not rely upon what we do for Jesus. It rests in what he did for us on the cross and what he has in store for our future. That's true faith. It's all about, all about Jesus. True faith is all about Jesus. What is true faith? It's what? All about Jesus. Persistent faith longs for the return of our Lord to bring us all together into his kingdom. That was the problem of the rich ruler who came to Jesus. Even though he asked Jesus about eternity, his focus was not on eternity. It was not a prayer, Lord, come and bring your kingdom. It was a focus on this earthly life. And that's what we see 
in the next person of interest. Verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Well, like the Pharisee in the temple, we see a man putting his confidence in what he has done in this life instead of what Jesus has in store for his future. We know at least two things about this man. He was a rich ruler. He was, a, he was rich. And second, he was ruler of the synagogue. A ruler means not a government ruler here, but a man who was a ruler of the synagogue. As we've studied before, each Jewish synagogue had officials in charge who took care of the worship and uh, the order of worship and guarded the scrolls. And, and uh, these were important men, exemplary, exemplary men. But I want you to notice his, te- notice his testimony, the rich ruler's testimony. He said, I have not committed adultery. I have not murdered. I have not stolen. I have not lied. I have honored my parents about five times. He said, I just in that way. Jesus said, I, the man said, I've not done any of these things wrong. Now, that's pretty impressive. Let me just say, that's, this is pretty impressive. I mean, okay, I've never murdered anybody either, you know? I've not, you know, as far as I know, I've never stolen anything from anybody. But, you know, I, I can't honestly say I've never told a lie. Is anybody here want to raise your hand and say, you've never told a lie? Don't do that. I'd have to say you're a liar, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you've told a lie. You see... You see, you know, even though he had done all these things, where was his faith? It was missing. His focus was on his achievements. It's on what he had done or had not done. It was not on Jesus. And remember, true faith is, what is true faith? It's all about Jesus. That's right. He addressed Jesus as good teacher. Good rabbi. Teacher is rabbi in Hebrew, Good rabbi. So he addressed him as teacher. Good teacher. You're a teacher. But he did not address him as the son of God. He did not address him as Messiah, son of David. Messiah. Good teacher. Good rabbi. And that's why Jesus answered this man. He said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. So what is it that you believe? You believe I am the God, the good God to whom you owe your allegiance? Well, that's not what he really believed. He didn't really believe about that about Jesus, and that's why he failed the test of true faith. Look at verses 22 and 23. So when Jesus heard him say these things, he, Jesus said to him, You still lack one thing. The man thought he had it all sewed up here. You still, Jesus said, You still lack one thing. Say it one little thing. Uh, Mr. One little thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Well, that's actually two things, isn't it? No, it's really one thing. I mean, follow me is one thing. 
but you've got to sell everything before you can follow me. That's what Jesus is telling him. The man had some good works, but he did not have a true faith. While he was willing to obey the Old Testament commandments, he was not willing to follow a New Testament Savior. It was too costly. He asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But he was not prepared for the answer Jesus gave him. He was not really serious about eternal life. His faith was not real. We don't hear him talking about the coming kingdom. He seemed to know the Old Testament, and the Old Testament talked a lot about the coming kingdom. I'm sure he knew what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Who was Jeremiah talking about? Jesus, Jesus, the Lord our righteousness was standing right before this man and he didn't even recognize him. All the things Jesus had done, all the miracles, all the power, and he didn't even recognize him. He didn't see Jesus as the Savior because his focus was not on the eternal kingdom of God, it was on the kingdom he had built for himself. A real persistent faith. Praise for the return of Christ. But a real persistent faith pursues, secondly, a relationship with Christ. It's all about Jesus, folks. There was nothing wrong with what this rich ruler was doing as far as keeping the law of God. He was a moral man. And may I go ahead and say, <clears throat> let's give credit where it's due. This world would be a better place if there were a whole lot more men like him. The problem was not in what he was doing or not doing. It was, the problem was in the one thing he missed. One thing. He was not pursuing a relationship with Jesus. See, he was, okay, he didn't commit adultery, he didn't murder, he didn't steal, he didn't lie. But what did he not do? He did not pursue a love relationship with Jesus. When he came to Jesus... Did he come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you're the Son of God. Please save me. Did he say that? No. Jesus, I know that you're the coming Messiah. You're the Messiah. You're my Messiah. Lord, I want to follow. Did he say that? No. He comes to Jesus as good teacher. You know, you're a good, you're a good teacher. Did he say you're a good, good father? No. You're a good teacher. You're a good teacher. I'm sure you know the answer to this. What must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? do to have eternal life problem was that he couldn't do anything to have eternal life it was all about Jesus and he failed to recognize that he didn't have faith not real faith Jesus told his disciples you've got to love me he said for the father himself loves you because notice, now listen let's look at this again for the father himself loves you because why you have done what Loved me. Why does God the Father love you today? Because you, what? Love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, God the Father doesn't love you. You understand? Now, he loves the world, but you don't have that personal relationship with God. You can call him God, but not my good, good Father. No, not unless you love Jesus. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and I have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Folks, let me tell you something. That's great news. 
what Jesus just said, that's great news. Because Jesus has come to the earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and has gone back into heaven, that means he can come back from heaven and bring heaven to earth. You understand? Because he's gone back to heaven, prepared a place for us, we're going to heaven. Heaven is not going to be the eternal place for us. We're going to heaven because he's coming back to earth for restoration. And guess who's coming with Jesus? You are, and I am. We're coming back. We're coming back. You see, it would not be complete justice if you and I got to heaven, and that's where we stayed for eternity, and down here on this earth, Satan took over and made it worse and worse. That wouldn't be real justice. Real justice is when Jesus comes and gets rid of all the wicked, all the evil, and restores what he created in the beginning Now that's real justice. And we need to pray for that. We need to seek God for that. And it starts by seeking a love relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest hope we could have, folks. I long for the return of Jesus. I want him to come back. I wish he would return today. I pray for his return because I know when he returns, everything's going to change for the better. When Christ returns, we will never again have to say goodbye. All believers throughout the ages will live with Jesus forever in a perfect love relationship. That's what we should be pursuing. Jesus said, to follow me, you must pursue me with all your heart. If you do not seek God with all your heart, you will never find him. If we want to hold on to the things we have and put our trust in what we can do for ourselves, God will let us do that. But we cannot have it both ways. We cannot trust Jesus for eternity. And hold on to this life and love the world more than Jesus. We have to pursue a love relationship first. A love relationship with him that is first above all else. And that's what the young ruler missed. He missed the part about pursuing a love relationship with Jesus. He was too busy pursuing his own earthly interest. Listen again to what Jesus said to this rich ruler. He's called a young ruler in another place. He said, tell, sell, he told the man, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, do, this is to everybody, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your tre- for, read that with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus does not necessarily tell everyone to sell everything we have and give to the poor, but we've got to be willing to do it. If he did. He told this man to do it because that's where his heart was. It was on his earthly treasure. Where's your heart today? Jesus wants to be the treasure of your heart, your greatest treasure. He wants you to pursue a love relationship with him that values him above every other relationship. Jesus must be the most important thing in your heart and life. Now, we know nothing can separate us from the love of God. God does not want anything to separate your love from him. When we've received Jesus as Savior, we should pursue him every day day of our lives we should seek him every moment 
that we live. Seek that future kingdom where we will live and reign with Him forever. Paul said, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. True faith persistently follows Jesus. It pursues a love relationship with Jesus. It persistently prays for the return of Jesus. This rich young ruler stood before the one who could grant him eternal life and entrance into his kingdom, but instead of having the persistent faith to receive it, he turned from Jesus and he walked away. In pursuit of the little world, he had made for himself. That's what most of the world's doing today, folks. I hate to tell this man and all like him that this little world that we are building for ourselves is one day going to come crashing down. Let me tell you something, folks. One day, you and I are going to leave behind every cent we have to our name. Did you know that? We're leaving it all behind. One day, we're leaving behind every brick that is in that house. One day, we're leaving behind every stitch of clothing. We're leaving behind every bit of jewelry. We're leaving behind every car and truck. We're leaving behind every ounce of food. We're going to leave everything behind because we're not going to need it where we're going. Amen? And we're going to stand before the same Jesus that offered this man eternal life. And we're going to be judged for the faith or lack of it that we had in this life. We must pursue Jesus now because one day it's going to be too late. This man, instead of walking in new life and joy with Jesus, he turned back. He turned back to his own way of life, his own pursuits, and he went away sorrowful. But there's a bright ending to this story because while one found sorrow, another found a new life. Verse 35. And then Jesus took the... Excuse me. Verse 35. And then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to take up his cross. Jericho was on the route. Throngs of people followed Jesus as he was making his way toward Jericho. People lined the streets as if they were watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. There was all kinds of noise. And beside the road that led to Jericho, a blind man sat begging for anything someone might give him for food or water or money. Mark identified the man as Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, or in English we say son of Timothy, Bartimaeus. As the noise grew louder, the blind man asked the people near him, the nature of this excitement. And the people responded, well, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And see, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, the people leading the processional began to scold him, say, be quiet over there. Jesus, but he cried out louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they were saying, shh, be quiet over there. Be quiet, old man. And then he hollered out louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was Jesus' messianic name. Unlike the rich ruler who addressed him as good teacher, Bartimaeus confessed him as his Messiah Savior. The cry of faith, folks, listen to me. The cry of faith always gets the attention of Jesus. Verses 40, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. 
And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, what did he say? Read with me. Lord, that I may receive my sight. Mm. And then Jesus said to him, read it with me. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. The rich man said, rich ruler, I want to know how I can obtain eternal life. The blind man said, Jesus, have mercy on me. I need you. He didn't ask for possessions or prestige or even a place in the kingdom. He simply asked Jesus for mercy. He in faith pursued a new love relationship with Jesus. Have mercy on me, Jesus. The greatest need of man, folks, is the need for mercy and eternal life. The rich ruler wanted eternal life, but he saw no need for mercy. The blind man knew mercy was his greatest need. And that Jesus was the only one who could grant it. The rich man came to Jesus proud of what he had done. But the blind man came to Jesus in humble faith, persistent faith. He kept crying out to Jesus until Jesus answered his prayer. Nothing could stop him. No one could silence him. He cried out till Jesus answered his prayer. The rich ruler walked away in sorrow, unwilling to accept the sacrifice necessary to follow Jesus. He had so much in this life that he did not want to give anything away, not even for the sake of eternity. This life, with all its trimmings, meant more to him than heaven or eternal life. That love for this life, was greater than his love for Jesus. And folks, if you love anything more than Jesus, that will never result in anything but sorrow. The rich ruler was not willing to trade what he had in this life for the next, but the poor man, the blind man was. He had nothing in this life, nothing but blindness. And he was very happy to trade it for the next. He cried out for mercy and Jesus heard his prayer. Jesus called the poor blind man to him. And he saved him. Unlike the rich man who heard the word of Jesus and rejected it, the blind man heard his voice and his life was forever changed. And not only did Jesus give Bartimaeus physical sight, he gave him spiritual sight, new life, eternal life. And today I believe Bartimaeus is in heaven. Why do I believe that? Because look what happened after he received his sight. Verse 43. And immediately he received his sight. And what did he do? Followed Jesus, right? Glorifying God, thanksgiving. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That's real faith, folks. Faith that cries out for mercy. Faith that believes the word of Jesus and then follows Jesus, pursues Jesus, and then helps others believe and follow Jesus. There was a soft, I heard there was a soft-spoken man was a commuter on a Long Island Railroad on the 5 o'clock local. And every evening after the train had left the subway, he would begin a journey through the car from the front to the back. And at at each seat, he would stop and say, Excuse me, but if any of your friends are blind, tell them to consult Dr. Garl. He restored my sight. Dr. Garl had restored his sight with surgery. And that man was forever thankful and he wanted everybody to know and he tried to help other people get their sight restored. Jesus gave everything for us. And the blind man was willing to give everything for Jesus. And when Jesus restored his sight, he helped others who were blinded by sin and despair. Can you imagine what he said? He went to everybody and said, I once was blind, but 
now I see Jesus gave me new life. That's persistent faith, folks. He showed the people around him persistent faith. The other man, the rich man, was not willing to do so. The path Jesus called him to follow was a humble path, a giving path, a path of self-sacrifice. He was not willing to walk that path. That's why after he heard Jesus, he walked away with sorrow instead of joy. But the blind man who had nothing in this life, not even the ability to see, who lived in sorrow, he came to Jesus, traded it all in, and he began to follow Jesus. And that's why he went away with joy in his heart. He had a new life and a new path because he had a new faith and a new relationship with Jesus. So where are you today? Where are you in joy or sorrow? Where are you in this passage? Where are you among all these characters? If you have true faith, you'll be like the blind man who received his sight. If you have received the mercy and eternal life of Jesus, you can say with Bartimaeus, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus gave me my sight, my new life, and my new future. Hallelujah. That's what you can say. One of the greatest tragedies for people would be to live in darkness when they could live in the light. Rose Crawford had been blind for 50 years. And then she had an operation in an Ontario hospital. And she said, you know, I just can't believe it. As, as the doctor lifted the bandages for her eyes, she began to weep. Because for the first time in her life, she saw a dazzling, beautiful world of form and color. She could see. Been blind for 50 years. The amazing thing about her story is that 20 years ago, a surgery had, start, had started restoring blindness, the kind of blindness she had. She did not know that surgical techniques had been developed, that an operation could have restored her vision at the age of 30. For 20 years, she wandered in blindness, and it was unnecessary. The doctor said she just figured there was nothing that could be done for her condition, much of her life could have been different. I wonder how many people today are living in darkness because they choose to do so or else they don't know the one who can make them see. The one who can deliver them from this dark world and give them an eternity with him is only a persistent prayer away. Why won't they turn to Jesus? Why do so many choose a selfish path to sin and sorrow and reject the path to joy? I don't know, but I hope you are not one of them. Would you bow with me? <clears throat> Let me ask you something. I asked you before, do you have real faith in Jesus? Is it persistent faith? Are you somebody that just prays every once in a while, or do you really persistently seek Jesus? Real faith is all about Jesus, folks. If you've got real faith, that means your life is about Jesus. Living's about Jesus. Dying's about Jesus. Eternity's about Jesus, if you have real faith. There's a lot of people not like that. <clears throat> they don't have real faith. They're like that ruler, rich ruler. Do you know anybody like him? Do you know, a, you know someone like that rich ruler who walked away from Jesus? If you do, the best thing you can do is do like the blind man, walk in, in the light before them. Let them see the joy that Jesus gives you, the difference he makes in your life. Let them see your faith. Pray for them every day.
We keep telling people about how Jesus gave sight to your spiritually blinded eyes. You never know whose life you may touch with your testimony. That once you were lost, once you were blind, but now you see, now you're found. What about your faith? Is it real? Are you persistently praying for Jesus to return and rule and reign in your life and over everything? Are you praying, Lord Jesus, come and take over this world? Are you pursuing a relationship with Jesus above everything else? That's real faith. The faith of a blind person made whole. What does your faith look like? Maybe you need real faith. You've done a faith checkup. You say, Pastor Donnie, I don't really have that real faith. I just, I just have God in my life a little bit of, of the year. I, I need real faith. Well, you've come to the right place. I can just tell you what Jesus said. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you'll confess, if you'll follow him and love him, you'll be saved. Cry out for mercy. God have mercy. Today, let me help you pray. Pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, have mercy on me. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I confess that I am blind and I have left you out of my life. I've put my trust in other things. Today, I come to you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Right now, Jesus, I come to you. I trust you, Jesus. I believe in you, Jesus. I ask you to come into my heart and life and take over. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to rule and reign in my life. Today I make a commitment to follow you and you alone. I will never stop following you. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you pray that prayer, folks, and you meant it with all your heart, and you start following Jesus, then you have nothing to fear. Your eternity is secure. You're going to be with Jesus forever. And you can have, you'll have the joy of the Lord in you because you have Jesus. While we sing today, I'll be at the front to pray for you. If you need help with that, if you want to be a part of our church family, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. Whatever I can do while the cameras will be off and you come. and If you want to pray at the altar, you do what you need to do and just let the Lord lead you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what the Holy Spirit said to my heart and all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.